So hello and welcome to How to Get Loads of Marks. Uh, with me in the virtual studio today is Roxanne Stockwell, or Dr. Rox, as she's known around the halls of Pearson College. Um, Roxanne, uh, let us know why we might have got you on the podcast today. Hey, well, it's great to be here, Chris. And uh, we're on the, I'm on the podcast today, I think, to talk about my doctoral research and uh, hopefully give some tips and ideas to students who are starting on their final project. And also the subject of my doctoral research was about the experience uh, that graduates go through and specifically Pearson Business School graduates, how, what they go through to actually get jobs. Fantastic. So, so we're going to be covering, um, I guess that, 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 that's two topics then, because all of our students are about to embark on a big research project in their final project, mm -hmm. uh, not quite PhD level. Um, obviously, they're, they're in level six, most of them, they're doing the final project, but uh, I think everybody does research projects in the spring term. So, so that's a really interesting point we could, we could talk about. And then also, once they've left the university, they're going to be going straight into, into graduate jobs, hopefully. So, so hopefully we can dig a little bit deeper into what happens when you actually leave and go into the real world in Skyrim. Yeah, sounds good. <clears throat> sounds yes. good. Uh, fantastic. Okay, so, so let's start with the, um, with, with the research side of things. Um, so our students are all trying, going to try and come up with their, their final projects, their things they have to research. Um, what was it that you were trying to answer? What was the mystery that you were trying to solve with your, with your research? Well, I was really interested in the reality of actually what happens when you go through the experience of applying for work uh, just after you've graduated. And I'd read an awful lot about surveys from employers saying that they want this, that and the other. These are the skills shortages areas, etc. But I was really curious about what they actually looked for in practice. So there's a big difference or there can be a big difference between what someone says in a survey and what they actually do. And that's not necessarily even a conscious difference. So I wanted to see from a graduate's point of view, looking at their overall job hunting experience, what sorts of tests they had to do or what sorts of exercises that they had to do, which must have formed the, the data from which employers made their decisions. So I was really after the reality of the lived experience of going through that job hunting process. Mm, that's, that's really interesting, and, and especially how, how you you've you've done the research you've done some reading already what made you doubt that the reading was accurate or what made you wonder if it was accurate because there are an increasing number of surveys that list this absolute long litany of requirements for graduates and you read it and you say there is no way people can have all of that I mean, some of them had over 90 different skill sets that they expected graduates to have, for example. This is based on surveys, surveys with employers, with hundreds and sometimes uh, thousands of employers. And there were some books I read as well that were a bit sceptical about it. And I remember one of them, the particularly um, uh, well-known writer in the area, who was saying that uh, the sorts of things graduates are expected to have today would have had them canonised from, you know, a few hundred years ago. So I was looking at that and I was thinking, okay, that's a kind of wish list, but I find it hard to believe that they actually test for all of that. Uh, and in the end, like if we're trying to help as an educational institution, if we're trying to help people find a way into a successful career, we need to know what that gateway looks like. And uh, that gateway can't possibly have 93 different things, or it seemed unlikely to me it would have 93 different things in it. So I wanted to know what it really had in it. Yeah, that's, that's, yes, I suppose not everybody can be a, a programming AI specialist in data analytics who's also excellent at social media with good communication skills and excellent experience, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it's like that scene in uh, Pride and Prejudice where Lizzie Bennett uh, says, I'm surprised you know any accomplished women at all when they give that long list of what they need to have. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But graduate jobs based on Pride and Prejudice. I'd love, 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 yeah. love to see that one. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Um, yeah. So, so okay. So, so we've, we've, we've done some reading around the, around the topic. We've, we've found something that, that seems unachievable or unrealistic. And then you thought, okay, I'm going to get my, my boots on and, and go out into the field and see whether I can, you know, whether I can check if this is correct. Is that, is that kind of how you approached it? Yes. And also, so so what you do with, with a doctorate is you 
you have a look and see what the literature what literature exists already and what you're trying to find is a gap in the literature so that what you do is a a genuine contribution of extending knowledge so i did a lot of reading about what literature existed already on how graduates found jobs and this this was a big skills this was a big um research gap area there was very little on the reality of how people actually find jobs and when there were there were a couple of very good studies but they were almost exclusively focused on graduate schemes and they'd only be focused on they'd be looking at it from the the single graduate schemes point of view whereas i was interested as a looking at it from an individual graduate's point of view who might apply for hundreds of different jobs uh their overall experience and i didn't find any literature on that at all so that was quite good that meant that there was there was a gap there so that was another thing when you first start you sort of have a question on what you want to research but you may find it's already been answered uh, and if that's the case then then you need to find a different question so you can't really establish the question until you've done some initial reading mm, that's that's quite interesting because obviously a lot of um a lot of people think right i'm going to start with the question i'll do the research it's a bit like i get the same thing with, with my entrepreneurship students they'll come up with a business idea then they'll go and research it and find someone else who's already done that business idea yeah and it's it's a hard skill to go to kind of to kill your darlings and kind of say okay i'm gonna have to change my idea if i want to do something unique or I'm going to have to do this idea better than the other person in terms of business. You can you can have another coffee shop as long as you do it better than the other guy. Um, yes, yeah. But but to, to kind of have to say, okay, I've, I've thought I was going to research this, then I'm, I, I've changed it. Um, it sounds like you were fairly lucky in that you didn't find what you were looking for when you were looking through the literature. Um, any advice for if you if you do find what what small tweaks you can make? Uh, my, my one in business is always to find more niches. So yes, you might not be able to find a coffee. You might not be able to bake a coffee shop, but you can make a coffee shop for um, young parents, or a coffee shop for petrol heads, or you, know, you can find niches and things like that. <laughs> Are there similarities in research? Def- definitely. I mean, and this is why a lot of doctorates are incredibly specialised because there's already like a saturation of information on whatever the area is, and then you find some really specific, quite narrow thing um, that you focus on. And I, I think there's an endless amount of uh, uh, niching that you can potentially do, so long as you do that. And I, I'm not sure with the level six, with the the students that we're talking about here, uh, I'm not sure to what extent uh, the research needs to be original because there is research as well in finding out what the current answer is, mm. and that's not necessarily that can take a lot of time because you need to read like what is the state of the understanding of X Y Z that in itself is a type of research. And then the, the piece that I was doing was actually creating uh, original research, uh, primarily qualitative in my case, but finding original research for that. I don't know if you necessarily always need that in the level six um, side. So some of it might be discovering what the current answer is. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, and not, not only discovering, but discovering in a way that it relates to a particular area. Um, so I, I, always, yes. I, I think I think I've got some some Venn diagram in a slide somewhere, which is which is Bulgaria and basket weaving and where those overlap. There's your research on Bulgarian basket weaving. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's a that's an alternative to the sort of niching way. It's making it, uh, it's applying it to a specific scenario or even a specific company, uh, I, I imagine. So finding what what answers there are in the existing research and then how that could be applied to help solve whatever the specific uh, company's problem is. That would be a really valid and useful piece of um, applied research. I mean, it actually sounds like you kind of went the other way because all the research you were mentioning seemed to be for particular companies. I assume it was done by the companies probably or in in partnership with someone who was working at the company. No, it wasn't done by uh, companies. It was generally done by uh, think tanks or universities or people who are researching uh, skills areas, uh, sometimes government departments, those sorts of things. So it wasn't done by an individual company Company. I mean, companies do do their own kind of skills matrix stuff as well, but that wasn't really what I was looking at. And originally, I wasn't going to study the way people got jobs. The the originally, I was looking for what are the skills that graduates need. And when I read that, I realised that if anything, there was too much information on that, and it was just an endless, endless growing list spiralling out of control. Um, and so. Then I thought, okay, well, let's check and see what there is on the lived experience side, and and that's where I found there was a real gap. 
Because mm, I guess definitely all those things that are on those giant skill lists are things that would be good to have. But how that maps sure. exactly on, because I guess what you what you would have found in the lived experience is all the tiny little things, like like being available during the week probably is quite a good thing if you're looking for a job. Because you can go to meetings and <laughs> yes. go to interviews without having to squeeze it yeah. around another job, for example. Yeah. Mm. I mean, location has a strong correlation with... Uh, with jobs. So if people are located out in uh, very rural areas and if they're not prepared to move into city areas, there is a, a strong correlation with having much less of a prospect of getting work, although that might be different now. Yeah, I was just going to say that we need to, we need to um, redo the research and see if that's changed um, given, given that – because I guess, I guess the whole graduate system has changed since coronavirus. That would be a really interesting extension to the to – the, to the research, wouldn't it? Yeah, so that's that's one of the uh, the challenges that I have is that what I wanted to do is uh, to obviously start taking pieces out of that research and uh, publishing articles. But I, I finished the whole kind of process in 2019 and, and obviously everything kicked off in 2020 and I feel like it's already out of date or it might be already out of date. So I... I want to do some supplementary interviews, perhaps with some of your listeners, uh, and I'd also like to extend it into the escape side because I was only f- focused on the business school side uh, and actually have a, a more up-to-date one with how it's changed since when I was looking at it because I imagine it has changed. Mm, yeah, I've, I've got um, and on, on the escape side, I've got friends who work in television and the ones who are working on kids' shows, which are generally created in a computer, if anything, their, their their workload went up, and they they saw their business getting better, and obviously all the physical TV recording and stuff like that just just went down to nothing um, when lockdown came in. So there was a definite split yes. in in the kind of entertainment market. Um, so that would be very different from our business students. Um, okay, so so we've got we've we've got our question. We've we've found something that we want to research, and we've we've done a bit of preliminary research to to work out whether it's worthwhile answering the question at all. Yes, um, but then. It's still a very big challenge to go at. So you said you were doing a lot of qualitative research. What was your what was the kind of steps you took to to work out what to do next? How did you build that to do list? Well, I had to design the uh, the methodology, uh, which in the end, I mean, first of all, I looked to see if I could find that information through uh, any kind of sources, and it it wasn't available. the The description of 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 what you actually go through on a case by case basis of applying for jobs was not there was nowhere that that was readily available. So that's why it was largely qualitative because I ended up doing interviews with 47 recent graduates. And we had, I think it was about 74 interviews altogether because some of them we did, uh, we did an introductory interview with, with all of them. And then with about half of them, I did a second interview that went into things in much more detail. So the first interview got a kind of overall picture of the number of jobs that they applied for, the different sorts of assessment techniques they faced, et cetera. And then the second interview took three or four of those uh, experiences and took a real deep dive into step-by-step what they actually went through to apply for a, a, a job at IBM or what they went through to get work with a startup, whatever whatever it may have been. And it was also about it was about the the overall process and experience so it included failures it wasn't just about because that's the other thing with a lot of the existing research it was about people who'd got jobs whereas this was about the overall experience of the sorts of things that they would have to face even though most of the applications were failures right uh, i see i see so that's, that, that's quite an interesting an interesting point of view because I, I do an exercise about survivorship bias with world war ii planes and that's like, i guess the same thing you'd see in research if you were only looking at graduate employees rather than graduate Respective employees yes um, yeah so so that's uh, that's 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 really interesting so, so you you've worked out your methodology interviews because there's nothing else to get um a lot of a lot of students seem to lean on surveys rather than interviews but you went for interviews um i i, I like interviews too but um, what- well, I, I was after the in-depth data, so it's 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 very difficult to do that in a survey, and people will not spend too much time on a survey. You need kind of tick boxes mainly. You can have some open questions, but you won't get a huge amount of information on that. And I really wanted to hear the story of the experience 
And uh, for that, I definitely think an interview uh, is better. But I was also asking for what they went through. So it wasn't it wasn't just about how do you feel on a scale of one to five and that that kind of thing. It, it was the the practicalities of what they actually did. So that gave it a slightly more objective not nothing's completely objective and obviously this wasn't completely objective because they're describing their own experience but it was it was a relatively objective description of what actually happened uh versus how satisfied were you with the experience of applying for whatever mm, so, that's, so that's quite a good tip for interviews i guess because it's hard to be subjective about a question like how many interviews did you apply for because there will be a number which will be an objective number. Yes. I, mean, I suppose you could misremember it or you could you could not include an application that you didn't really go very far with. There's different, you know, like a lot of people yeah. get asked by the doctor, how much do you drink? And I think most people drink one or two glasses of wine a week or something like that, which we probably know yeah. is false. Um, because <laughs> people lie, people people change what, what they want to say to, to sound better. Um, yeah, how, how many how many applications are you doing a week? I would guess most students, oh, three or four, definitely. But actually it's closer to 0.2 or something like that. Um, yeah. So one of the things you have to list in the methodology is the the possible shortcomings um, with it, and the fact that this is based on speaking to people about their <clears throat> their memory of what they went through means that it's not a hundred percent reliable. But neither is neither is a survey, and neither is your own observation. <laughs> so you know, but you but that that is a really that is a really valid point. I mean, not necessarily because they're trying to make a particular impression that that can be an issue. But every time we remember something, uh, we are reconstructing the past. Now we don't necessarily know we're doing that, but that's actually what's happening in our brain. So so it's never completely uh, reliable. Mm. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's there's many stories that my dad's told me, and because he's an engineer as well. I've gradually started to confuse which one was his stories and which one were my stories because I've just told the stories yeah. so many times. Um, yeah. So I yeah. guess the same thing can happen. Was that an interview I did yeah. or was that an interview that one of my friends told me about? I can't exactly remember. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I suppose if you've done your methodology right, though, you'll have random noise, but it should cancel each other out. So some people will think they've applied for more interviews than they did. Some people will think they applied for less interviews than they did or, or will be over-optimistic or overly pessimistic. But because you have that, like, 46, I think, went for the deep dive interview, said, that should, in theory, start cancelling yeah. each other Yeah, I mean, it was it was 47 uh, people for um, uh, in-depth interviews and, and just over 70 actual interviews, which is a lot for a qualitative study. And for the level sixes that we're talking about here, you know, you might have two or three interviews. You wouldn't be trying to do anything like that that, that number. But overall... Uh, based on the number of places that they uh, roles that they said they applied for, etc., it was about eighteen hundred job application processes. So it was quite a big data set in what in one sense. Uh, what I what I'd love to do is to supplement it with a survey on, on a much bigger scale um, at some at some future date and crossing into different organisations, uh, different institutions, and. Uh, different subject areas. I think would be really interesting to find, and I'd I'd be much better at structuring a. Um, a survey now because having had those answers in depth, I understand the sorts of things that people go through. I probably would have designed a very different survey if I if I if I didn't have those interviews in the first place. Mm. Yeah, that's, I suppose that's a good thing about an interview is that you can you can realize if you have got the questions wrong or if you are, if your initial assumptions are wrong, you can immediately yeah. get feedback on that because they go no, didn't do any of that. Then you go oh, so what did you yes. do? And then immediately you're correcting. You're in that feedback loop. Um, yes. Straight yes. away. Yes. So that's good. That's fantastic. Um, so interview. You also said observations as well, um, and, and surveys. Anything else on on the methodology side that could be useful? I'm thinking students are looking at lots of different things. So just so they've got lots of different options. Well, uh, we haven't really discussed the the more quantitative side. So mine was more qualitative, although we did did actually collect quite a lot of quantitative uh, data. Uh, but having a look and seeing what is already available in terms of quantitative data sets, and this can be OECD reports and business reports and things like that, um, that can be really useful because that that is data which you can then, you could 
you could still study that data and perhaps take a cut of that data on how it applies to a particular industry or whatever it might be. And that can be really useful information to incorporate into your research. So analysing data produced by other people is itself another very valid and interesting uh, method of research. Mm, especially today, because there is so much data available if you know where to look um, that that you can really you can really leverage that. I mean, m- most people don't realise that, for example, on on Statista, um, you can get the underlying data of most of the graphs on Statista, and then mm-hmm. chop it up in a different way. So you're not limited to just yeah. the graph that Statista has made. You can, yes. you can put data together. You can aggregate things. You can you can split them up differently, etc. Um, and that's yes. a key skill. I, I assume, although you'll you'll tell me if I'm wrong, that might have been one of the key skills that employers were looking for as well. Uh, data analysis. Uh, well, I've, data scientists and data analysts are in in big demand. Uh, so yes. But it's also a skills shortage area. So I think that employers know that everyone coming through the door isn't necessarily going to have that. But if you can have that, even even just some of that, without doing an entire data science degree or whatever, that can be hugely beneficial. Um, it's just another whole way of looking at the world and looking at business problems, which employers do love. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, of Excel and spreadsheets. Uh, whenever, <laughs> yes. when, when, when there's a problem, I want to get it into a spreadsheet and and poke it around with with some spreadsheets and say, in, in spreadsheets and see what 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 kind of numbers I can see pop out once things start. You yes. know, what differences, yes. what ranges, what uh, what averages, yes. etc. So that's really interesting. Yes. But I think that doesn't appeal to uh, not not everyone finds that a um, an interesting way of looking at the world. And I think at the moment we we often have a bit of a bias, uh, a really strong bias towards numbers. And so if you are uncomfortable with numbers, um, it can feel a bit like you're illiterate, you know, quite alienated. Um, now I think the whole numbers thing and looking at it is incredibly important. And if you can get your head around it, it's really really it gives you a lot of advantages in employment. But at the same time, there is the whole narrative construction and, and what, what it actually, uh, what the experience is actually like from an individual's uh, point of view, which is the more qualitative end. And that can be incredibly inspiring and incredibly uh, revealing. So, so that's a kind of method that's used a lot in user experience, which is, you know, used an awful lot in the creation of products and so on. So I guess what I'm saying is that to people listening, if you're interested and able to work with numbers, fantastic. But if you're if you're not, there's just as important data that, that can be uh, collected qualitatively as well. Mm. And I guess that the sweet spot in the middle where those two combine is where the data tells a story, and then that story is laid out in the in the yes. qualitative data that you get. So you can kind of back up one with the other. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I did an analysis of the average, uh, the, the the typical student journey with the forty seven students that I that that I looked at, which was like the number of uh, places that they applied for and the number of teamwork exercises that they had to do or whatever these different sorts of things. So you came out with kind of like Ms. Ms. Joanna average uh, on what she did, but actually there wasn't a single student in reality that had that experience. So that just shows you is that that's the average um, statistically. But it doesn't necessarily represent even one human being, so that's why I think you—it's great if you can have both. Mm. Yeah, I think the, the average the average person has one point nine seven legs or something like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, because, that because must the, be the right. person with no legs messes up yeah. all the averages. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Excellent. Okay, um, no, that's 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 really interesting, especially how that's um, that that skill shortage in data science doesn't necessarily mean that's the way to go. It's about working out what you're actually good at, where your skills are, and then working out how those skills map onto the things that employers are looking for. And I then guess guess making sure you show that and making sure that you make, yes. that, that, make that clear. Sure, yeah. Mm. And don't be afraid of learning new skills. I think I, I, I find a, a lot of people are just very uh, put off by numbers. Uh, and and I, you know, I think that... People can learn that as a new skill. So you might be sitting down thinking, well, I don't have any skill in that area and therefore I can't do it. And that's not necessarily true. Um, but I just don't want people to think that that's, that's, you know, an absolute must-have if you really find it makes your brain explode. There are other things as well. 
So I think what people don't realise with, with data science and data analytics, obviously I'm a programmer, so I'm quite comfortable with, with numbers. But what people don't realise is you don't have to be a, an MIT level scientist to to make something of value with numerical uh, manipulation. So the way I like to compare it to is driving. So for example, if you if you don't know how to drive, you can put in a few weeks' effort, do a few lessons. It is hard. You will not. No, no one's born knowing how to drive. It's something you have to learn to do. But you don't have to learn to be an F1 driver or a or an off-roader or a rally driver in order to be able to get to jobs slightly further away from your house. You just have to be able to drive the four miles between yes. your house and the job. <laughs> so, so it's a case of, of okay, don't don't go into this thinking I've got to be a data scientist. But just go into this thinking there is a tool out there called computers and digital um, analysis and data analysis, which clearly is very useful. I need to be able to do a little bit of it, at least to understand how much of it would be useful. And then you can do a proper cost analysis of is it worth me putting the time in to to learn a little bit, just enough, just enough to be able to yes. to work out. Because also it saves you so much time. Um, if, you, if you can quickly manipulate things in Excel and, and pull out the information you need rather than going through a list and looking for things that yes. appear on both lists, Excel will do that yes. for you very, very quickly. Um, so, so little tasks like that. If it's boring and repetitive, you can probably do it quicker on a computer. Um, and that's kind of where, where the basics level of data manipulation is quite a useful skill yes, to have. Yes, no, I, I, I do completely agree. Um, I just know that some people have an allergy to anything that has a number in it. <laughs> mm, mm, yes, in which in, in, in which case you need to be absolutely on top of your uh, yes of your narrative game. So excellent. So other than data skills, what what else? Uh, well, well, we're on the topic of the skills that were actually being looked for um, in the real world on on your research. Although although you've got this giant wish list, what were the things that actually contributed to you getting the job so th this was this was very interesting and there was a huge i mean one of the things that really stood out is how incredibly varied the experiences were uh, from people getting great jobs with no interview or selection process formal selection process at all uh up to uh masses and masses of different online tests and so on that people uh, would go through um so it is incredibly varied. So I, I guess every application that you make, you need to be prepared for the unexpected, all sorts of different things. But the bottom line, and this this did surprise me, uh, given given the long list of skills that employers um, are going on about, the bottom line is by far the most important thing is to give a good interview. So it's not about the skills at all, um, apart from the skill of giving the right impression that you have skills in the interview. So you don't have to prove that you have the skills. You need to create a narrative that looks like you have the skills. That works in the vast majority of uh, cases. And the reason I was surprised is that there's been so much emphasis on different sorts of specific skills and such a strong discourse from employers that they're not happy with the level of skills of many graduates, that you would expect that they have, would change the way that they made their, their selections for those skills that they apparently want. But but that was not supported. So teamwork, for example, is probably one of the, the biggest, uh, most frequently mentioned skills. And in graduate schemes, there were, there were teamwork, frequently they used teamwork skills. But outside graduate schemes, which remember only employ 5% of graduates, so 95% um, of other, other jobs, uh, teamwork skills, I think I came across one example and, and none of the others had them in it. So in the interview, you may well be asked, what if you worked in a team and you'll, you know, describe it. But that is a very different skill from actually doing the teamwork. So I think that was really interesting um, that that a lot of it is about impression management in the interview not just a lot of it the, the most important part is that impression management in the in the interview that you're able to give a performance that you think the employer wants to hear and I don't know if that sounds cynical um, but this this is this is what came out um, in uh, in this research which means when you look at it from a university perspective and what you what you focus on is you want people to have have lots of experiences that they can draw on so that they can 
they can tell a good story when they're in the interview uh, and then practice at interviews and practice at at creating those narratives and even recognising that some of those experiences that you've had while you've been at Pearson Business School or wherever it is that you have been are, are worthy of mentioning and describing in, in, in an interview, that becomes really, really important. Um, so so I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Um, and then to get to the interview, you have to get through that initial sift. So the the a lot of the jobs are very competitive, particularly graduate schemes. Uh, but you need to make sure that your narrative of your actual CV will also create the right impression uh, in order to get through that sift. And then it's how you perform in the interview itself. That's that's really interesting. I suppose I suppose that the- <laughs> it's a bit sad in some ways, but yes, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I suppose the the way you, the, I suppose that the 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 argument for it would be that that people like to think that they're a good judge of a person when they're talking to them. So so the like for example, the best way to demonstrate to, to demonstrate that you're good at teamwork is to be good at teamwork and then talk about it. Like it, it would be very hard to know all the stuff that you'd need to know to, to explain how you've been really good at working in a team without actually having the experience of working in a team and stuff like that. So I guess there is there is some basis to it. Yeah, I mean, you you don't want to be lying about, you don't want to have to be making up, but but some of the candidates did lie and that didn't do them any harm and they got a great job and they've done really well in it. So, <laughs> um, but uh, you, you don't really want to be lying and pretending that you've done teamwork or what, what, whatever it is. So you need to draw on an experience, but... Uh, amongst other backgrounds, I come from a theatrical um, background, so I so I do think that you can totally create a performance that you are good at teamwork without being good at teamwork. So I disagree with what with with what you just said, and and uh, I think that uh, there's also another whole set of research on interviews and the impression people make on other people in interviews and how all of that works which we think that we are a very good judge of those sorts of things but we're not necessarily um a a very good a a very good judge Uh, there's a lot of you know different sorts of biases and whatnot um that that come in it so but but I think it's natural I think that is totally the way we do it you want to meet someone you want to get a feel for whether or not you can work with them it's hard to put a finger finger on it and that is alive and well and absolutely fundamental to getting uh to getting jobs um and that that that's part of being human with all its flaws but that is very different from a, a skills list mm. that's no it's, it's fascinating to hear because i mean um like I, said, I completely agree people like well, so if people like to think that they can get a good judge of a person from an interview whether it's whether it's true or not is uh, is another question but the um but yeah, that, that that performative feature. I guess I guess now more than ever, like our, our lives are are shifting to have this kind of this kind of facade layer mm, where yeah. you put your best foot forward. Yeah, you know, you, you people have a LinkedIn yeah. profile where they yeah. list out things they've done. They have a, an Instagram. They have a all, all this kind of public facing um, yes. stuff is is very important to. And I guess you know. With, with, it's it's that like you say it's like connection. It's having a connection with someone, and the, and that's what you want to foster. You want to have because people make decisions emotionally generally, and then backfill with rationality afterwards. And it's much easier to have an emotional connection in person. Yeah, yeah. But the the technology side that was another uh, uh, finding is that um, technology pa- played a much bigger role in in the experience than I had expected. And it was unrecognisable from when I have, have hunted for jobs. Um, and, you know, especially when when I first left university, completely unrecognisable from, from that time. And the there was a lot of technology experienced. Uh, for example, there was a lot of video, uh, I call them asynchronous video exercises. I don't want to call them interviews because they were not like what we're doing now where you've got two people talking at the same time uh these are the record i don't know if you've come across them but the recorded videos do you know what i'm talking about i i, I can imagine how you could make it work but uh, well, it, it would be very different <laughs> <laughs> well ba- basically it's like a 
you, you press start and then a head pops up and it asks you a question and then a clock appears with a, a time thing ticking down and you've got whatever, 30 seconds to answer that question and then the head pops up and asks another question and then maybe for this one you have two minutes or whatever. This was this was a very commonly experienced um, uh, technique with a lot of the students, almost none of which got the job the, uh, from, from that. So it was generally experienced as a, as a point of failure, which I'd say is the case with everyone. I don't think it's in anything about this particular group of graduates. We have a very high, uh, a very high employment rate in graduate jobs and, um, uh, you know, highly skilled jobs and so on. So I just think that you, you face a lot of failure when you um, go through the experience of applying for jobs. And that's one thing to be aware of and not let it worry you because that's absolutely completely normal but these video things was one of them it was universally hated by the the the, the people that, that I was interviewing uh, but it was clearly some kind of sifting mechanism that that was used to get through to whatever the next stage is then there were all sorts of online tests many many different sorts of online tests a few of them were very skills oriented like create a pivot table or whatever that kind of stuff uh, but others were things like um, playing a Martian game and there was another one where you had to drop things in boxes and weird things um, that, you know, there may be a justification behind it, but it, it wasn't apparent um, in the in the description. A lot of this related to graduate schemes. So the graduates did tend to focus on graduate schemes. As I said, they only employ 5% of graduates. In this particular group, 15% got offered graduate scheme roles. So that's much higher than the average in the, the sector overall. But they spent a lot of time applying unsuccessfully for graduate schemes. So that was another feature. A huge amount of time was spent unsuccessfully applying for, for graduate schemes. And that experience was very dehumanising and belittling to people. So one of the things that really stood out to me was how dehumanising the process could be um like deeply distressing for 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 people um uh but how much more you know technology was playing a role but then some of them were very um canny and they reversed the situation and largely using their linkedin profile so they became very aware of the effect of keywords and if they if they use the, the right kind of wording on things like their LinkedIn profile, they would get recruiters coming to them and uh, com like completely changing the, the dynamic with employers. So that was really interesting as well. And I think that's only got even more so and relates to what you were saying before, that whole sort of performative um, effects. Your, your, digital, your digital presence can have a very big potential impact, uh, which I think is, I've got mixed feelings about it, but it is a reality of, uh, of, of the current uh, climate. Hmm. I think Shakespeare said it best, didn't he, with all the world's yeah. a stage. So uh, we're, just, we're just moving into the 20th century where all the world is a giant streaming service. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so, some fun, some darker sides, but yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that, that that covers graduate schemes. Uh, you, you mentioned that that startups and, and non graduate schemes, the, the other ninety five percent of jobs that are out there, yes, are very different. Yeah. Um, how how did that kind of start? Was it still still into still the interview is the key thing to get well, into? Well, not for absolutely all of them, but for the vast majority. But but for about eight percent of them, the uh, the way that they got jobs, and these were good jobs. Um, were with startups where they built a relationship while they were actually uh, studying. So this was often through um, lecturers who were also uh, entrepreneurs. And th there was never any interview. So they refused to classify anything that they went through as an interview. But there, there was like a, a chat after class or whatever, and then they might do something with them. And then this built up over the course of the, uh, of the, the three years or, or however long they were with us and then turned into full-time jobs and then some of those companies have gone on to be acquired and and um you know have done incredibly well financially etc um so that was like this long audition process and a real relationship building process and there was no there was no test as such apart from the test of actually doing it and being involved in the company and all the ones who did that loved that process of of getting a job 
and they had ideas about how that should be something that's available to everyone and everyone can do it, which, you know, you can see at scale, you can't, it's difficult to imagine how something like that could work. But it was very, it was very interesting. And so that was a, the ultimately humanised process, if you like, versus the graduate scheme, which was the ultimate dehumanised uh, process. Uh, as I said, that was only about 8% um, uh, of them, but still that's not insig insignificant. Um, and then, then there was uh, most of the jobs were uh, ones where you put in your CV, you went to an interview, generally a few interviews, and there there might be uh, activities that you had to do, which were things like presentations, um, sometimes some data analysis that might that might be involved, um, role plays. Uh, which was interesting. I would never have even guessed that they did role plays, but they but they were role plays. Uh, so so those kinds of things. Um, broadly, all of that experience was pretty constructive, a fairly positive experience. And this is even if they didn't get the get the jobs. So uh, I think that that's because the the way that they described it. And they would could often compare it to graduate schemes because, of course, many of them had applied for many different sorts of jobs. Is that it was very it, it was sort of individual. They're looking at them individual and and to some extent seeing what they could do. Presentation is the single most likely thing that people will um, face, so it's good to get lots of practice on presentations and uh, building that you know relationship through the interview itself and they were very aware of the need to build a bond with the interviewer it was really interesting without anyone having kind of like told them it was sort of instinctive uh the graduates would take every opportunity that they could to build a relationship so not just to show i've got a degree and i can do this but to 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 create that sort of human engagement um so, which some people wouldn't approve of. Some people would think that's not how you should select people for jobs. Uh, but I think it is a very human way of of doing it. And the graduates really, they felt that they performed better and certainly felt better about themselves through uh, that kind of experience. That's really interesting. Yeah, so, so I suppose it's, it, it's, it's the, oh, you have, a, you have a kayak on the wall. I am also interested in kayaking. Exactly. But probably not quite as not probably not quite as easy as that. But um, but look, we're oh, looking but, to but there were examples. Things. Yeah, and there were examples of absolutely that kind of thing around football rather than kayaking. But there were there were examples of, of that kind of thing that were part of um, that sort of uh, bonding relationship. So I tended to classify those as bonding as bonding interviews, and uh, they the graduates would attempt to bond with them. And I think the employers often. Uh, it sounds like that they were doing that as well. Um, so forming that bond is is important, um, and looking out for opportunities to 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 do that does seem to have a very big impact. I mean, most of the students, the graduates, most of them used networking as part of their job hunting experience, and the there was a strong correlation between networking and getting jobs. And I don't mean networking as in you know, mummy's going to set me up with a job with a cousin or something like that, although there were one or two examples like that. Uh, but I mean professional networking, building relationships um, uh, with, with people in a, in a professional way. So something that we can all do. It doesn't depend on our, uh, our background uh, to do that. But net networking, after the interview, networking was the second most uh, important thing. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose the, the kind of the key thing that keeps coming up over and again, both with, with networking, with building these bonds, with with being able to perform well in an interview, it's it's having that rich experience in the years before yes. you go and get the job. Um, so, so, for example, on my CV, I've got um, I was a successful part participant of the uh, WNBR, um, and then in brackets, I just put Google it. <laughs> and then close brackets. So if they go and Google it, they'll find out that the WNBR is the World Naked Bike Ride. Um, is that true? That is true. There, there's a picture of me somewhere on the website of me cycling across Tower Bridge naked. But um, oh my god! That, okay, I clearly didn't look closely enough at your CV. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think you actually saw my CV because I was employed through networking. So I, yeah. I was employed to do. I got. Um, you you would have looked at my CV. 
way after, way after the, uh, <laughs> the, the first, the first mm. stages, because Will was the one who found me in the Chinese restaurant. Oh, right, okay. And um, and uh, we were talking about how there was a lack of skills, and I said, "Well, I'll come and teach them." <laughs> so, um, so that worked really well. <laughs> Uh, for, for, for those listeners who aren't at Pearson College and don't know the uh, the situation, Roxanne is the principal of Pearson College. Oh yes, um, and I'm a, I'm a recently employed tutor a few years ago. So that's that's where <laughs> not that, that not that recently. You're part of the the heart and soul of the college. Oh, now. 2017. Yeah, yeah only five years. Yeah, now. Um, but um, but yeah, but that 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 collecting of experience seems to be like you want to, and it's the same when when you're in interviews. So it's oh, what what did you do at university? If you say oh, I got really good at writing essays there's going to be snores coming from the back of the room. Whereas if you say, oh, I started a company and I I did the um, the video gaming society and I was doing this and I was doing that and everything else, those experiences, are they're not individually any 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 use. There's, no one is better than the other, but that, that whole tapestry of stuff allows you to be more likely to be able to bond with someone because you've got a shared experience. Yeah. You have to have experiences to share them yeah. with someone yeah. else. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that was another thing that was really um, uh, fascinating. And it feels, I, I feel a bit naive when I look back on it now, but I I fully expected that when the uh, graduates went into jobs, that there would be discussions about what they had studied. And um, we spend a lot of time uh, and resources on the way we design the programs and involving employers in the design of programs and um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and as I went through the interviews, I gradually realised, because I would ask them about the topics and stuff, that they never discussed the degree. So then I started to ask them, did you discuss the degree? And there was only one example uh, in the entire thing for one application where they did actually ask about the finance um, modules in a degree. And this was for a job working um, in a bank. And otherwise, um, the the graduates said, no, they never discussed the degree. They never asked them about what they had studied or, or anything. What they did do sometimes, and this was on the graduates' part, they would talk about their final project because their final project was a very unique piece, you know, that they had effectively helped design, uh, like, you know, deciding what kind of question you're going to research and all that kind of thing um but they weren't they they needed to have a degree to have gotten to the interview at the first place but the content content of it was taken as read or whatever and instead what they drew on was uh, all the other tapestry of experience as as you call it whether it's while you're studying as part of Pearson Business School or other things like the naked bike ride or whatever it might be um but these other other things that they drew on, and that that made me think that I've st- I coined the phrase after that of the second syllabus. That made me think that the second syllabus is just as important as the actual formal syllabus, and needs to be individual for every person. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. Never asked about grades. Uh, so all this, people get in a real, really anxious about. Am I going to get a, a first or whatever? And the the grades part, I mean, maybe it'd be different if you're going into um, a, a full-on academic um, role and you're applying for a scholarship or something, then the grades might be relevant. But but for the for these jobs, unless unless through the sifting, they were sifting out, um, you know, for example, uh, so, some companies will sift out at a 2-1, um, uh, and that wouldn't have been visible in these interviews because that would have been done by the employer there was no discussion about that nothing about what subjects were you best at or <laughs> which i found wow spent three years and <laughs> and what they want to know is about the clubs and societies that you were a part of so yeah i i, I suppose that the, the tricky part is because obviously you want to get you want to get through that sifting you want to get through the filter that says you've got to do one at a, a reputable university so you have to do that and that takes time but that doesn't leave much time for all this other second syllabus stuff. So you need to start combining things as much as you can to kind of multiply up your yeah. time. I'm just thinking of final projects. If you work with a startup to work out what they need researching and then you research that for your final project in the real world, then you've got your experience. You've That's got true. That, that, what, was the, what was the term you used for the, for the, um, the slow-growing relationship with a startup? Uh, I, um, I think I referred to it as being a long, a long-term audition process. 
Yes, yeah, that's yeah. it. So you, you can be part, you can be doing your long term audition at the same time as doing a research project, which is interesting and unique and has experience in the real world, which you can use in an interview later. And kind of for every minute of your time, you can get three or four ticks in the boxes to kind of maximise your time by cleverly thinking that through. I think that's true. And I think the final project in particular lends itself to that because it is unique. And and I guess from an employer's point of view, you know, broadly business syllabuses are going to be fairly similar because there's benchmark statements we have to follow and so on. So I can see that it doesn't necessarily tell you anything individually um, um, about them. So I think you're right. I think if you can tick them off together, that's good. But I also think that the sifting process is largely... Um, applied to graduate schemes. It's not necessarily applied to other to other jobs. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that I always think it's a good idea to engage with the learning as strongly as you can and 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 do your best in it. But I wouldn't I wouldn't I I wouldn't think oh that means I'm not going to be able to get a job and so on. Or that if I get a first, I've got a greater chance of getting a job because that's not true either. Um, so. Uh, and even if you get a even if you get a two two, the the vast majority of people still get jobs, and the vast majority of jobs will not sift on a two two. So uh, yeah, I'm just saying keep it in context and don't think that the grades matter more than the second syllabus because they don't. Hmm. Although I suppose hopefully the stuff that we're teaching is actually useful. That would be nice. In, in the job. <laughs> Which would, which would make it at least a little bit less stressful than just arriving on your first well, day and going, oh, my God, I don't know anything. Yeah, it's like, we do it. Yeah. The, stu- the stuff is actually useful. Yeah. It's just it's assumed to be known yeah. if you've already got the degree and you've That's got your degree on the first pile. Uh, and my doctorate was not about when they started work. It was about getting through the doorway and getting a job in mm. the first place. That's what it was about. Mm. Interesting. I mean, that, that, that's really nice because that, that took us all the way back to final projects, which is obviously where we started. Mm. So maybe when you're thinking about which question to answer think about all those other things mm. and and that that can be your starting point when you're deciding what to do with the next three months of, mm. of research and i think also you need to be really interested in it so it's uh something that uh you'll want to get out of bed each day and be um and be working on because you're intrigued by whatever it is and and that's for people's own personal satisfaction but but that kind of passion and interest will also uh, come through and enthusiasm is 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 very infectious and i mean infectious in a good way <laughs> <laughs> yeah be careful <laughs> exactly careful with terms like that now. um so uh yeah i think finding something that you're enthusiastic about and is is individual uh to you will be fun and also really helpful mm. well um thank you very much uh, dr rocks it's a pleasure um did we miss anything out or, or is that everything? Well, my doctorate was 180,000 words. So, yes, we missed lots of things out, but that is as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we'll have to get you back for a sequel uh, cool. um, at the end of term to see how we, how we do with the rest of the research projects. Um, thanks very much. Uh, that's, that was really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm sure the, uh, the students will find it uh, very enlightening. Um, so thank you very much. Goodbye and, and good luck to everyone listening. <laughs>